0: We're talking about the life of Peter from shifting sand to solid rock. Today we're talking about the transfiguration. Uh, an interesting episode in Peter's life and wonderful that he shared that experience with us so that we can share in that experience as well. This word transfiguration is translated from the Greek metamorphu, and it means against form. That means a different form. It's not the form you used to have. We often translate this as transform or change. Metamorphosis is a change of form. The dictionary says it's a, a change in the form or the nature of a thing or a person into a completely different form by nature or by supernatural means. So when we look at this idea of metamorphosis, we often think of a butterfly with that, a a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, or a tadpole becoming a frog. And these are interesting because even though they are metamorphosis, the caterpillar and the tadpole really don't have a choice in the matter. They become what nature dictated for us we do have a choice. So when a person goes through a metamorphosis, it is their decision to do so. And that's what Peter's going to witness today, and it's going to affect his life. And he's also going to see Jesus in a new light. Let's take a look. We're looking at Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 27. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I tell you the truth. Some of you who are standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Now, this is kind of the last passage that he says when he's with his disciples on retreat at Caesarea Philippi. And I've always wondered about this because this uh, story that we're looking at next is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But there's a page break chapter break in Matthew and Mark. And so uh, I, I always wondered about what does he mean when he says that that people are going to see the kingdom of God before they die? Because as far as we know, we don't see that happen. There's a couple of instances where the kingdom of God is revealed. Certainly John, uh, when he was quite old and he gets a, a vision and writes the book of Revelation, he sees into heaven. Uh, We know that Stephen, when he was being killed by the the crowd, looked up into heaven. But none of the disciples really seemed to have that experience. And so it was very interesting, what did Jesus mean? I've always wondered about this, and I think now I get it. In Luke, the very next verse gives us uh, some explanation. Now you have to understand that this is a mountaintop experience that showed Peter, James, and John a glimpse into the kingdom of God. And Luke goes on in verse 28 and says, About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. Now, Jesus often goes somewhere to pray. Sometimes he goes up to high places. That was very typical of people. Actually, Jesus isn't just going to pray. He's going to meet with God. He wants to spend time with God. And what a good thing for us to think about in in our prayer life, that we don't just give God our laundry list, but we listen to God. What do you have for me, God? This time, and on several occasions, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the three of them. They are the three that go into the home of Jairus when his daughter dies, and those three witness this daughter coming back to life. Those are the same three that are invited by Jesus to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's going to be crucified. He asks them to come along to watch, to pray. So Jesus does this. And it's interesting, too, that uh, for the Jews, for something to be legal as being witnessed, that you had to have two or three witnesses. So perhaps Jesus brings them along so he has witnesses to this event. Uh, and that'll stand up to the Jewish law. Verse 29 tells us that as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. There's that word, metamorpho. And his clothes became dazzling white. I love it that, that Mark tells us that his clothing was far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. So what we need to really understand here is that, that his clothing, He shone with a whiteness, a brightness, that was beyond any earthly possibility. That lets us know that this indeed is a supernatural event. And so as he's praying, as this is happening, there's this transformation. Now, if you're thinking about transformation today, what does that mean? What is transformation? the transfiguration, this transformational event. And how does it appaint, pertain to our lives? Well, the first thing I want you to see about transformation is that it's a supernatural event. It's not a natural thing. These disciples get to see what the kingdom is like. And, and I wonder if this transformation that they witnessed was, was what God really had in mind for us, this, this glowing, this, this intent of the Father that all of us would have just had this kind of a transformation? Uh, could it be that if had humans lived without that sin, without the fall in the Garden of Eden, that, that we would have been transfigured at some point and taken directly to heaven? Because see, there wouldn't have been a reason or a need to die. But that's not what happened to Adam and Eve. And that's not what happens to you and me. So transformation is supernatural, but it also is life. It, it is this choice of life that we have. Now, we sin, so we die. But with transformation, we can live. Now, we, we don't glow. We don't, we don't shine awesomely. We die and, and we fall apart physically because the wages of sin is death. When sin came into the world, death came in there too. Verse 30 tells us that then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now this may well have been the greatest Bible conference that the earth had ever seen. I mean, you have these great guest speakers. There's Moses, who represents the law. There's Elijah, who represents the prophets. And then there's Jesus. Who came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So you, you got Peter, James, and John witnessing this event. These three uh, supernatural figures, not earthly figures, uh, there on that mountaintop. And what they see is that this transformation is glorious. Verse 31. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about the exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to leave. He's, this word exodus, a Greek word, means to depart or to decease, to exit by death. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to exodus. But he's going to be his choice. And it's it's so interesting when we see this new figure of Jesus, perhaps this is his real authentic. He became a man. He, He went through the incarnation becoming as a human being. Well, when he did that, he took on the form of man and perhaps left this heavenly body behind. And what is amazing to me is that verse 32 tells us that Peter and the other disciples had fallen asleep. Peter fell asleep? Really? I mean, Matthew tells us they fell face down on the ground in terror. So did they pass out? Uh, Did they fall into a trance? Whatever happened, it was was wild and it was crazy. and, And then it tells us that when they woke up, they saw Jesus. They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now, as... Moses and Elijah were starting to leave. Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out. I love this. Peter didn't even know what he's saying, but he still has a way of saying something, and he, and he blurts. Do you know somebody who blurts? Peter blurts, and he says, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter doesn't get it. These are heavenly beings. They don't need earthly shelters. But he is very excited. He's emotional in that, and transformation is emotional. Peter gets excited. He's having a great mountaintop experience. He gets so excited, he doesn't even know what to say. That doesn't keep him quiet, but he, he has something to say anyway, even though it really doesn't make sense. The other thing we note here is that transformation is wonderful. It is filled with wonder. Peter thinks it's wonderful. He wants to stay there. He wants to to build memorial shelters. But verse 34, even as he was saying this, a cloud came over them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. You know, you think about the, the situation with a, with a cloud. Uh, we, we used to live down in the Central Valley, and we learned about thule Fog. I mean, the fog was so thick sometimes, if you were driving and you got caught in that fog, you'd have to roll down your window and stick, it, stick your head out the window and look at the white line because you could not see 10 feet in front of you. And I'll tell you, when you're driving in that kind of condition, it is terrifying. But this word also could mean awesome. We, we, we say things, oh, that's so an awesome, awesome, that's so intense, and, and it's really terrible, you know. But, but hearing the voice of God, that's intense. That's, there, there's a fear involved in that, and it's wonderful. As a matter of fact, the, the Hebrews, when they were fleeing from Egypt, uh, God went before them as a cloud. And they were afraid to even pr- approach that cloud. Moses went up on the mountaintop and, and, and spoke to God. And, and when he came down, his face was so shining, they, they couldn't even look upon it. He had to wear a veil. So w- when you get into this moment, this awesomeness of God, that's what Peter's experiencing here. Completely a supernatural event. Verse 35 tells us, Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I love it that each of the gospel writers say that. Listen to Jesus. Because as these disciples will pay attention to what Jesus says, as they will listen to him and do what he says, as they will understand it, then they'll have a gospel message that they can pass on to others. And God is the one who gives them that that message. And when God speaks, people must listen. So what's God saying? He's see, pay attention here. Listen up. And so one more thing about transformation is that transformation is what real kingdom living is all about. And I want to share three things about what transformation does for us. The first one is that death has no power when you're transformed. For a few brief moments, the kingdom of God appeared on earth in all of its glory. This glimpse into the kingdom revealed the living, Jesus, and the dead, Moses and Elijah, and they shared in this special kind of existence, no longer separated by the veil separating earthly and spiritual, life and death. So while many anticipate life after death, these three disciples received firsthand proof of the afterlife. And they learned that death was not needing to be feared. Death has no sting, no power over them. Number two, the, the kind of kingdom leave, living that transformation gives us is that we will not experience the effects of evil. After we die, our bodies will take on these same uh, supernatural attributes. This glimpse of the future kingdom of God assures us that we will all have bodies, but they will be impervious to pain. Your new body will, will not face any suffering or hunger or thirst or injury or disease, no death. And we will have no need of shelter or food or medicine. How silly Peter was, let's build a tabernacles here for you. They didn't need shelter. They, they were beyond the effects of any uh, need for any kind of shelter or protection. And the third thing that we see here is that with Jesus, we win. Suffering, death, COVID, wildfires, dementia, all the forms of evil, are, they're just earthly concerns. Remember Jesus. Seek the kingdom. Stay with God's plan. Live, love, and the glory of God awaits you at the end of your journey. That was what Peter and James and John experienced on that mountaintop. Now later, Peter wrote about this in his second epistle, and what he wrote about was that we should pay attention to the living word, Jesus. And we should pay attention to the written word, the Bible. Here's what he says. This is uh, 2 Peter 1.12. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. It is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. We, and we received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. We have greater confidence in the written word of God. He says, you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. And he's in the, verse 20, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So what's Peter telling us? Always remember Jesus. Have everlasting life. Pay attention to God. Pay attention to his word. Be moved by the Holy Spirit. Now there's one last verse in Luke that goes with this passage. It's verse 36. When the voice of God finished, Jesus was there alone. And they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus told the disciples, hey, don't say anything about this until later. You'll know when the time is right. And they held on to that, these three witnesses of the transfiguration, of the transformation that waits all of us as Christians. I want to share one more thought with you about this idea of transformation, and it's from Romans chapter 12 where it says, let God transform you. And what does God want to transform you into? But a new person. And how does he do this? By changing the way you think. Now, Peter had a great emotional experience on that mountaintop, and I love these mountaintop experiences. I feel close to God when I go to places like Lake Tahoe that's so close to us, and, and you can just feel and sense the presence of God. But that feeling, that emotion is not enough to sustain us when we come back to live in the valley, in the trenches. But if you will let God transform you, not just your emotions, but also your heart and mind, the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasant and perfect. So what has Peter learned, and what has he passed on to us here? What are the benefits of understanding transformation, the transfiguration? Now, the theological name for this experience is sanctification, the process by which we become more like Jesus, which is the Father's goal for each of us all along. Now, have you ever had a mountaintop experience? Great. Have you experienced Jesus uh, with you down in the trenches? Wonderful. But let him really transform you by changing the way you think. Metamorphosis. Your choice to enter in this process of transformation that the Holy Spirit brings about in each of our lives when we really choose to follow Jesus. And in the end, Who you really are is what really matters. So God bless you. May you too experience this transformation in your own life. When you seek God with all of your heart and your mind, you too can experience what Peter got to see on that mountaintop and what changed his life forever. God bless you.